Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. I hope that everybody is ready to talk about season two of Stranger Things, because if you're not ready to talk about season two of Stranger Things, then you need to find something else to do today besides listen to this. Yeah, you should. Maybe eat some Thanksgiving leftovers, because this will be airing right after Thanksgiving. (laughs) That just confused me so much. (laughs) We are recording this before Thanksgiving occurs. (laughs) like wow you have leftovers already we haven't even celebrated how did you do that (laughs) yeah so go ahead and eat a turkey sandwich or a roasted cauliflower sandwich because i've seen that on instagram a bunch people replacing turkeys with cauliflowers oh that Um, sounds great yeah go eat some runny mashed potatoes (laughs) and have some thanksgiving leftovers instead of listening to this podcast (laughs) and then when you're done with that come back yeah, come back after, because we're going to start talking about season two. Yay! Wow. And we're going to start with what we started with with season one, which is an overview of season two. Yeah. So today we're going to go over a summary of season two. We're going to talk about some characters and setting, give you a little bit of history on 1984 in the United States, what was going on. And then we're going to talk about some themes of the season. And then finally, we're going to talk about our initial reactions to the season and um, maybe how that's shifted a little bit over the years. Yeah, that's a good little wrapped up present. So welcome back to season two and it's 2017, specifically October 27th, 2017. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to October 27th, 2017. (laughs) So this season consisted of nine episodes instead of eight, like the previous season did. And this season was also filmed in Atlanta, Georgia, just like season one. And in case you were not aware, the Duffer Brothers were responsible for this show. The whole thing. Not just the season. I didn't know that. Really? That's news. That's amazing. I'm so glad I could teach you something today. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) All right. So quick synopsis of this season overall, as it is stated on the Stranger Things wiki, it says, a year after Will's return, everything seems back to normal, but a darkness lurks just beneath the surface, threatening all of Hawkins. That is the quickest synopsis (laughs) in the history of synopses. (laughs) It's rather vague, but hopefully if you're listening to this, you have an idea of what happened. And if not, that's okay. We're going to talk about it in coming episodes. So let's get into our characters and setting. Our first main characters we've got here is the Byers family. So Mm. that includes Joyce, Jonathan, Will, and we're going to include Bob in this one. I mean, where else would he go? Yeah, Bob Newby, our (laughs) superhero. Yeah. So next we have uh, the Hopper family. We've got Jimothy. (laughs) James. Jimothy Hopper. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, L slash Jane. Jane and Jimothy. 
Yes, Jane and Jimothy. Next, we have the Wheelers, Karen and Ted, of course. Uh, Michael. <laughs> Michael. Nancy and Miss Holly Jolly, who has grown up just a little bit since last season. Just a wee bit. <laughs> just a little. She's a cute little toddler now. The Hendersons. We have Dustin, and now Dustin has a mom. Wow. That's In exciting. In season one, he had two parents. Apparently. We don't hear about him, but mm-hmm. that's okay, because they live in an amazing house, so a I guess very his mom- nice house. His mom's doing pretty well on her own, so The best house her. in the series. Honestly, right? Their house is so cool. Next, we have the Sinclairs, we have Lucas, and we finally get some Erica action in this season, <laughs> um, just a little bit, not as much as season three, of course. And then we finally get to see Lucas's real parents, not the ones that were at Will's funeral, because those were <laughs> imposters. Imposters. <laughs> Who are those people? Next, we have... <laughs> I can't even say it the way you wrote it. You should say it. Steven. <laughs> Marina spelled it P-H. T-E-V-E-N. Steven. <laughs> like that dog. Yes, the dog. <laughs> he doesn't have a family. No. So I should have of... put the Harringtons and then just put Steven. Yeah, it's just Steve. He he does have parents somewhere, but we don't know where they are. No. And we never see them, ever. Then we have some new characters. The Hargrove and Mayfield family. We have Miss Maxine, Max. a.k.a. Yep. That's what I was waiting for. Uh, next, we have Billy Hargrove, who is uh, decidedly the worst in this season. Right behind his asshole of a father, Mr. Neil Hargrove, just the worst. And finally, in this family, we have uh, Susan Mayfield, Max's mother, who is a, a kind-looking woman. Poor poor lady who is just pushed around by Mr. Neil. He seems terrible. He does seem like a, like a true jerk. He does. And we have some uh, recurring characters, such as the Hawkins National Lab crew. But, you know, some new characters here, like Dr. Owens. So I'm excited. Yep, Sam Owens. He's great. uh, Played by Paul Reiser. He seems like he would be like a great uncle. He does. He seems like a very kind uncle. Yeah, he has like uncle uncle qualities. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of does. I don't know what that means, but I do know what it means at the same time. Yeah. 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 A uh, new character, kind of. Uh, <laughs> the Mind Flayer. The newest of characters. Yes. Which, like, I mean, technically he was in season one, but we just didn't know about him yet. Kind of. We don't know. Maybe not. Maybe yes. We don't know. I mean, if that's the case, then we should be listing Vecna in every character list for every season <gasps> overview, despite his absence slash presence. Correct. Mind but, Flayer. I digress. The Mind Flayer appears in this season. Papa Mind Flayer. Yes. And then we have some peripheral characters. Murray, we finally get uh, Murray Bauman officially in the season. He <laughs> is probably my favorite, like, secondary slash tertiary character in the series. I love him so much. Next, we have someone named Callie. I don't... Who, who is that? Callie <laughs> doesn't deserve the hate, okay? It's the I know, episode, it's not her fault. Not it's, her not. fault. it's not her fault. <laughs> she is a great character, honestly. She really is. She had so much potential. I... <laughs> I, I truly have hopes for her in season five. I really hope we get her back at Imagine some point. she just never comes back. I, at this point, would not be surprised, but we'll see. And then, of course, all of her fun delinquent friends that she terrorizes Pittsburgh with. It's a good Why time. are all the people who used to work at Hawkins National Lab just conveniently located within 
But wait, it's Chicago, not Pittsburgh. Oh, it is Chicago. She's in Pittsburgh in episode one, chapter That's one. Right. And then she makes That's her way right. downtown to Chicago. Walking fast. Face is past. She's not homebound because they live in an abandoned warehouse. But yeah, I was wondering that too. Why are they all conveniently located? But I guess it's like the Midwest, you know, it kind of makes sense. All right. Next, we have Mr. Clark, of course, still in season two. So I'm I'm glad he's he's here, not in season four, which is sad, but season two, yep, he's around. The Hollands, so Barb's parents, as Marina listed them, Mr. and Mrs. Finger looking good. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> That's who they are. <laughs> Marsha and Mr. Holland. He doesn't have a first name. I scoured the internet trying to find his name, and it's always just Mr. Holland. <laughs> he doesn't have a first name. Poor guy. And then, uh, well, Barb, she's not actually here with us in the physical realm, um, but she is here in spirit, and, and honestly, she has quite a role in this season, even though she's yeah. not actually there. She does. And finally, our favorite police officers, Callahan and Powell, the most confused men on the police force. (laughs) Who somehow end up completely in charge in season four. Such a mess. Um, So our setting. So we're still in Hawkins uh, for the most part, though we do in episode eight travel to chicago we do do that yeah to meet callie and her her buddies but that's really the only time we sort of step outside of hawkins in this season Mm -hmm. though i don't know where terry ives is supposed to live but presumably pretty close by i think so yeah right now it is the fall of 1984 so just about a year after the events of season one which is why you know and we'll talk about this a little bit more later but we get that that concept of the anniversary effect because it's about a year after will um came back from the upside down yes so i know that everybody's dying to know what life was like in 1984 i am yeah and i really really wanted to just take us right back to the peoplehistory.com because that's where i got the information for the season one overview and it just does not fail to (laughs) deliver thank you the peoplehistory.com it's great it's like the most ugly website ever but it it serves its purpose (laughs) So in 1984, the average cost of rent actually went up 15 cents. Oh, boy. Inflation. Okay. In 1983, it was $335. And now we are up to $350. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Isn't that $15? I said, oh, (laughs) it is. Listen, I had a long week. It is $15, not 15 cents. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you know, math. Okay. Um, On that note, gas is also starting to go up. Okay. So we are now at $1.10. Oh, my goodness. Per gallon versus 96 cents from 1983. I will say when when we did the season one overview, it was still the summer when the gas was like just out of control. So I will say we're back down to like in the threes right now. Not too bad. The threes. The threes. Yeah. The cost of a Corvette in 1984 was $23,392. For reference, they now start at $64,500 according to Chevy's website. Wow. Yes. And that got me thinking of cars and Chevy. Billy's Camaro would have cost him $10,620 if he purchased it new in 1984, which he definitely did not. Mm -mm. Um, Nowadays, 
A 2023 Camaro costs $25,800. And just like a little funsy fact, my husband thinks that Billy's Camaro is like a 78 or 79. Nice. So, yeah. I didn't know he like knew about cars. Nick? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's he's a <laughs> he's a car person, especially wow. Camaros. Yeah. Why did I not know that? I don't know. That seems weird. You've known me and him for a very long time. I know. <laughs> and last but not least, a pound of apples costs forty three cents, and a pound of bacon costs a dollar sixty nine. Wow. I don't know how much a count a, a pound of bacon costs now. I feel like it's like six dollars or something. Like bacon's pretty mm. expensive. Yeah. So some some. Historical events. So 1984 was like a really... Are you okay? I'm putting on a sock. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda's just like struggling over there and I'm like, you good? I was like trying to be as silent as possible. (laughs) Okay. Um, So yeah, 1984 was a very jam-packed year in history. One of the things that I thought was fun was the teaser trailer for season two, which Mm -hmm. takes place in 1984, the the season, aired during the Super Bowl in 2017. But the 1984 Super Bowl featured that, like, iconic Orwellian Apple ad for the first Macintosh personal computer. If you've read 1984 by George Orwell and have never seen the ad, you should go find it on YouTube. If you've never read 1984, you should go to the library. (laughs) It's just what you should do. The Hawkins one. I actually had never seen that ad. Um, yeah, it's, it's creepy. Yeah, I went and I watched it on YouTube. It's it was, a good ad. It really is a good ad. I, like, I have to wonder how it was received back then because, mm-hmm. like, now it's like, I don't know. It's like a, a little strange of a marketing ploy, but I, I dig yeah. it. I respect yeah. it. And I think it's just the year and the yeah. book. Yes, but yeah, go watch the ad. The U.S. also hosted the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los oh. Angeles, which is so fun because you think of where Max is from and she comes from California. And that was the year that California hosted the Summer Olympics. Cool. Yeah. Also, the United States made the first transatlantic flight in a helium balloon. No, thank you. Nope. Don't want to do that. The AIDS virus was discovered by a French immunologist in 1984, and Sony introduced the first commercial CD players. Wow. Which is interesting when you consider, oh, well, Max was carrying around a tape a tape player. Oh, yeah, true. In 84, or in season four, not 84. Yeah, I don't think they really had, like, Walkman CD players quite yet in, well, they, like, they existed, obviously, but, like, yeah, I don't think the kids had them yet. Yeah. I really wish that we did this in our season one overview, but we didn't. 1984 celebrity birthdays. Oh, fun. Yeah. So Katy Perry was born on October 25th, 1984, which is four days before the events of season two. Wow. (laughs) Katy Perry was born and then the mind flare was like, hey, do you ever feel like a plastic bag (laughs) drifting through the wind? The world was going to change. Yeah, he he had kissed a girl and he liked it. The mind flare. <laughs> Chloe Kardashian was born in 1984. LeBron James, Scarlett Johansson, and Prince Harry. Wow. Yeah. When Doves Cry by Prince was like the number one song in 1984. Wake Me Up Before You Go Go by Wham. I know you don't like it. I hate it. I hate the song. It's so fun. I don't know how you could hate it. What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner. We're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. (laughs) By Twisted Sister. Runaway by Bon Jovi. Yes, please. Eleven, making her, you know. She's a little runaway. Thank you. Um, Can't Fight This Feeling by Mm -hmm. Ario Speedwagon, which is the background music to Amanda's favorite scene in Stranger Things. No? (laughs) 
Absolutely okay. not. <laughs> um, some movies don't exist because I didn't put any movies. <laughs> I totally like didn't do movies. So hold on. Let's do like a quick a quick one. Dune. Okay, Dune is big. The Never Ending Story. Amadeus came out. Mm. Gremlins. Sixteen Candles. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Footloose. Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie. <laughs> yeah, so cool. A big year for movies. A big year. A big, big year. Anything else good? Ghostbusters. Yeah, good good year. Good year. Not nice. the blimp. Not the blimp. Okay. That's our history lesson. Hope you liked it. Okay. So let's talk about some themes. One of the things that I noticed when I was like trying to brainstorm themes was that there seems to be a lot of dichotomies in this season's themes. And we'll go into that a little bit more as we're talking about them. Mm-hmm. But the first one that I want to bring up as far as scenes are concerned for season two, and I could not really think of a good word and maybe you can help me, but it was this like concept of like outcasts or like a black sheep type of persona can you think i can't think of like a better word yeah i guess like a feeling of like otherness oh yeah otherness that's good yeah so some of the things that i was thinking of in relation to this otherness were obviously max and her newness to this town this environment she's coming from california she's the new kid in town Mm -hmm. also will feeling like a freak this season it's a big theme zombie boy trick-or-treat freak you know it's like his jonathan's little speech to him that he gives like you don't want to be you don't want to be normal you want to be a freak that's right no i don't bro but okay (laughs) um definitely callie's gang of like her her derelicts her delinquent friends they are they are the outcasts like for sure yeah maybe l a little bit just a little bit just a little yeah. considering the fact that she literally can't leave the cabin but right yeah. she's yeah she's very on the outs and i think she's a character who i mean we see it in season four too she's always struggling with the what does she say in season four she's like i am i am different yeah she doesn't fit in anywhere that's what she yeah says. yeah you put murray here i did i put i put murray as an outcast kind of because he he's like he's like a self outcast a little bit he, he kind is. of he he removes himself from society He's the person that you go to when you need help as an, a fellow outcast. So he's a good yeah. person to have around. I also put Jonathan because I think Jonathan is kind of experiencing this in season two, especially after he went through this bonding experience with Nancy in season one. And now she's back with Steve, kind of back in with the cool crowd. Mm. And he doesn't really know what to do with himself anymore. Yeah. And I also feel like... In some ways, he's one of the only people in his household now who doesn't have a someone, you know, because mm. now Joyce has has Bob and Will inevitably as as othered as he might feel. He does have his friends like he has his party. Yeah. And Jonathan is just kind of floating. Yeah. Yeah. So a theme that I put down was I guess belonging would be the best word for it, which is, again, kind of a, a dichotomous analog. It is. To being an outcast, um, yeah. which we actually didn't plan. But <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of lumped in the themes of love, family, and identity under this umbrella of belonging because they're all sort of intertwined here. Pretty difficult to kind of separate. But Ellen Hopper sort of forming their own bond and, and little family in this season, despite Elle's protests of this, and despite the <laughs> fact that Hopper is still learning how to be a, a parent in this situation, which, I mean, yeah. there, there is certainly no guidebook for this one. 
so next would be hang on i accidentally just closed all my tabs great um (laughs) okay next would be jonathan and nancy coming to terms with their feelings for each other Mm, yeah um so they again form this little bond and you know trauma bonding is is uh something that is major in this season but they form their little bond and they continue that through this season and they're sort of coming to terms with what that means for themselves but they do kind of find a sense of belonging with each other because they have gone through a similar trauma yeah and they grow it yeah like they like they formed it i would say in season one and like in season two they grow it you know yeah then we have bob who you know he's trying to make a little family with the buyers he tries to make everything right for joyce and the boys he's trying to move them out of hawkins r.i.p bob he was just the best but yeah he he really tries to make a family there for them and try to give tries to give Joyce and the boys that sense of belonging. Another thing is Elle. Um, She kind of uses this search for her family and her background to understand more about herself. And it's huge. Yeah. Like she, she really focuses in on like understanding who she is through the people who, you know, shaped her and created her. And she, Mm -hmm. she feels like the best way to discover herself is to, connect with this family and find a family yeah she's like she's been shuffled around as far as like a family unit is concerned like she was in the lab and that was her family Mm -hmm. and then she was like living in mike's basement and then she had that prospect of family like when mike promises that to her at the Mm -hmm. end of season one and then she ends up with hopper as her father figure and then she's got terry ives and becky who says you can come live here this would have been your room and she has that family she's and then she finds callie her sister and she's like who is Elle's family like (laughs) i know and it's sad because in a way all of these people that she trusted she perceives that they have turned on her like yeah like becky in some way or another yes yeah like becky kind of turns on her by you know turning her in hopper turns on her by Mm. not letting her leave ever which like of course he's trying to protect her but she doesn't understand right callie kind of betrays her by sort of forcing her to do things she's not really comfortable with and by making her see brenner like reliving her worst trauma ever yeah so it's pretty bad she's just like repeatedly getting betrayed why are you blinking? I, because I did never realized that that was Callie making Elsie Brenner. You thought he was just there? I thought she was just, like, having a dream or a hallucination. Oh, yeah, no, it was Callie creating it. <laughs> wow, this is why we watched this show 4,000 times. Yes, we learned <laughs> <Anyway>. so much. <laughs> yeah, and then finally for identity, I put down when they're trying to reach will like they feel mm. that that will is still in there even though he's possessed by the mind flare and they do that by appealing to his deepest memories so yeah. they they bring up his family and his his friends like all these memories that he's established as a child so just like the deepest parts of him i love this accidental like belonging slash otherness like yeah. we did a dichotomy without even realizing I, that we were doing one i know i straight up did not even do that on purpose that is the- amazing so fun okay so one of the themes that i thought of was also was trust again and this was a theme in season one that we talked about a lot but i think will came to mind because he is sort of snaping he's like the double agent he's like severus snaping like he's like got his eyes in the mind flare world sort of but also he's got his eyes in the right side up and he's sort of serving as the spy right 
So can we trust Will? I also think a big one is the do you accept the risk? <laughs> no, we don't. No. We don't accept it. Um, the party and Lucas trusting this this random girl, as Steve puts it yes. in that one chapter, this trusting Max. And I always think it's so interesting how hesitant Lucas was to welcome Elle into their party, but was nearly immediately inclined to welcome Max. So much so that he, I get if we really want to take this very far, we can sort of say that, and I mean, Max is responsible for her own actions and decisions, and she did say she accepted the risk. But if we take this back to Lucas choosing to involve Max in this way, where would Max be now if Lucas had not chosen to bring Max into this situation? Alive. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So but the like, contrast in general to Lucas's trust for Max, like, nearly immediately. Amanda's getting very mad. I'm annoyed. Versus... <laughs> Versus his, his like, rejection of Elle so quickly in season one. Yes. I'm annoyed because, I mean, and it's not Lucas's fault. Like, this is, this is like, reality. But yes. But it's, it's unfortunate that, and I'm going to be on a soapbox here for a second, that, like, women inherently are more trusted when they're conventionally attractive or when men are attracted to mm, them. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Lu- Lucas is into Max, so he wants to just tell mm. her everything and he trusts her and, you know, she can be part of the party, whatever. But Elle is like, you know, this little shaved head, scared little girl. And Lucas is like, no, not interested. Get out of here. Yeah. And you also get the opposite rejection. So you get Mike's rejection of max and you get lucas's rejection of l yeah and it's just it's yeah it's like interesting Mm -hmm. another big trust problem in this season we also still have steve's trust for nancy and i think this goes back to the was the bathroom halloween party scene between steve and nancy a breakup that justified her then going and pursuing her relationship with jonathan i think not because you get her confusion in the alley when she's like i was drunk steve and he's like well do you love me and then she can't answer Mm -hmm. like so steve's trust for nancy is really like on thin ice in this season yes and then you put bob's trusts with (laughs) bob's trust with no damn questions asked that's right he shows up to the house it is covered in weird drawings and he just he just goes like he's like he does. I'm I, I mean he he does attempt to ask questions but Joyce is like remember I said no questions and he's like all right okay sounds good sounds good oh sure I need to go to the hospital now with with uh, I'm sorry not the hospital the Hawkins National Lab hospital mm-hmm. and sign a bunch of NDAs with you no problem mm-hmm. no biggie Joyce <laughs> I'm all over it love you. <laughs> Yeah, he's very trustful of the buyers. He really is. He is. He's just hook, line, and sinker, like whatever you tell me to do. And let's make a Bob Max parallel here. Ooh, okay. Had neither of these characters accepted the risk, mm. both of them would be in very different situations right now. Oh, poor Bob. I'm Bob so and sorry. Max. Bob and Max. <laughs> there they are. It sounds like a sitcom. It does. There it is again. Uh, so, so interesting. Another theme that I thought of was intuition. The way that intuition is, yeah, not the Jewel song. <laughs> Follow your heart, your not intuition. No. But Joyce, um, <laughs> Joyce really follows her intuition that something is not right with Will. She keeps asking him. I mean, 
again, she's willing to be looked at as the the town pariah in order to protect her son. Like, everyone around her is, is thinking that she's, you know, we get the whole scene when she calls the school and the secretaries are like, oh, God, it's Joyce Byers again. But she does mm-hmm. not care. She doesn't care. She's She's coming. And she was right. And then we have Mike who follows his intuition to understand, like, he he just shows up to the buyer's house because he knows something is wrong. Yeah. And he listens to Will after the Halloween incident, and, like, he just trusts his gut that something is not right. And he's the one who understands the whole spy situation, yeah, too. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. Right? Like, in the hospital when, you know, Will slash the Mind Flayer six the demodogs on all of the scientists, mm-hmm. you know, by, by drawing them to the hub, Mike immediately clocks that this is it's a spot he's a spot he does yeah yeah so he really follows his intuition a lot and same with i feel like you know we could even lump murray in here too like murray had a feeling that there was something more going on here and he believed jonathan and nancy right away because he trusted that intuition he did and i love when nancy and and (laughs) when they get there and nancy's like first of all she's not russian like when she, when when yeah. they see Murray's like crime board and Nancy's like first of all no like you're right but you're wrong but yes yeah I do think you're right like I think Murray his intuition that there is something up something is afoot yes makes him more likely to believe these two I feel like maybe in season two there's something with like Dustin's intuition with the whole dart situation I don't know that feels also like worth mentioning like I feel oh, like yeah. he's intuitive with dealing with dart like right. in some ways well at first he's not right because he's like yeah, just trying he's to like, he's like, he's like, discover a yeah he's trying to like discover something impress max like something but then well he doesn't immediately trust his into well he doesn't immediately trust the intuition of will who is saying this is an upside down creature you need right. to destroy it um <laughs> but so like we get more intuition there with with will being like Mm-mm, that is an upside down creature which could just be fladar maybe not intuition well, no will's like i threw that thing up a year ago <laughs> <laughs> dustin like i puked that thing up yes and dustin does not listen but then later he trusts his intuition in order to like understand that okay he's he's correct something is very wrong here yeah yeah for sure (laughs) yeah i like that one one of our dichotomies that i thought of was this concept of like rebelling slash finding freedom so i think of l in particular like she has gone from one prison-like lifestyle to another prison-like lifestyle between brenner and then hopper both with very different intentions and motives but she really makes her fight for freedom in season two but some would also say like it was meant to come off as a little bit of a rebellion i mean you give her the slicked back hair and Mm -hmm. the eyeliner and we're supposed to just oh she's rebelling i think bitchin bitchin but yeah i really get this like i don't really perceive Elle as rebelling i perceive it more as a, a freedom seeking yeah. And like an identity seeking thing that we kind of already yeah. said. And I, I have to say, after you said that uh, she went from one prison to another between Brenner and Hopper, I have to say, you are like Papa. <laughs> what does he say? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm like that psychotic son of a bitch yeah. or something. <laughs> you. You are like Papa. It's like so good. <laughs> that scene is yeah teenagers are tough especially when they have psychic powers 
Yeah. Steer clear <laughs> of those. So yeah, another another little rebel. I think this season is we get Mike a little bit in the beginning. Yeah. Him having some behavioral issues that Karen alludes to in his like response to the trauma of losing L and probably being very close to losing Will, like he goes through a little bit of a genuine rebellious streak. Yeah. And I even think part of his rejection of Max comes from his resentment that L is no longer there. Mm-hmm. So it's even a little bit rebellious of him, I think, to reject Max. It's like, nah, I don't want this girl, random girl. Like, random get out girl. of here. Yeah, we don't random want girl. Random girl. So yeah, rebellion and freedom is definitely something. I also have revenge slash justice, which again, two sides of the same coin here. Like, is it revenge or is it justice? Nancy's pursuit of justice for Barb is big. She wants to be honest with Barb's parents. She wants to tell them what was up. She doesn't feel like she can stand continuing to perpetuate this lie that blah, blah, and she's still alive. And she hears that the Hollands have hired this alternative detective which we just learn is murray yeah (laughs) and nancy just cannot like she needs to get justice for barb and then we get like the watering it down and they go find murray and release this tape yes but then on the flip side of nancy's version of justice we get callie's version of justice which is more like a pursuit of revenge Mm-hmm. on those from hawkins national lab who wronged her and this just really brings up like the whole i don't know this is a little bit like playing god yeah. to me right yeah. yeah it does it begs the question of like what is the line between justice and revenge like what yes what what is the i don't know it's a gray area i feel like it is and it's all very saw like the saw series oh, like how jigsaw is thinks that he, for those of you who have seen or have not seen the Saw series, all 17 movies, Jigsaw feels entitled to punishing those who the law has failed to punish. Yes. In his ment- like in his brain, he thinks that these people are worthy of punishment, and then he dishes it out. Like, Callie, to me, is, like, similar in that way, that she feels these people have wronged her, and she's right. Yeah. But killing them... Mm-mm. That's not up to you in my, like, in my opinion, yeah. you know? That's a really good point. Like, I never really thought about kind of, like, Nancy and Callie's mission is similar in a lot of ways. It is. It is. Except Nancy has, n- I mean, I guess the lab, sure, because it does end up watering it down, like, in that way. The lab ends up getting called out again. But Nancy doesn't really have anybody to direct her anger toward. True. Besides, like, a demagogue. <laughs> get over here (laughs) you um i just want to say i would love to know what that conversation between murray and barb's parents was like like yes that would be fascinating like how did they find him like what what was that consultation like and how did they walk away from that first meeting being like yup this is the guy i mean they were right but i'd like to know he was the guy he was the guy yeah he was and then the last theme that i picked out for season two is trauma which i think this just becomes like a running theme through season four obviously will's trauma is a a major theme of season two and the anniversary effect comes up and the concept of ptsd being a relatively new idea in like the field of mental illness 
mm-hmm. comes up. We didn't totally understand that. We see people coming back from war, experiencing PTSD. Like, this was a big theme in season two. We also have Els and her, her, her terrible wound. You have a terrible wound. Which we don't, like, really understand what that even is until season four, honestly. Yeah, which I loved, though, that seeing season four brought context to that. Yes. Between Brenner and Elle. Yeah. I also think, again, of Callie and her method of coping with trauma, and she seeks revenge. That's how she is coping with the trauma of her childhood. She tries to also bring Elle, like, over to this maladaptive means of coping, and Elle resists. She even stops Callie from killing that one orderly, and then Callie is like, you don't have to do that, but don't stop me from doing it, in different words. And then Mike's trauma of losing Elle and how he's coping. And then Max's trauma of living with Billy, which we can see pretty early on. Mm -hmm. That scene of him racing, gradually increasing the speed of the vehicle. Oh my god, yeah. And like tapping on the steering wheel. Like, it's awful. It's so, it's just so, you need, you need help, man. This man needs so much therapy. He needs a lot. He needs a lot. And then, yeah, trauma. Trauma. Yep. Trauma. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot of trauma. There's so much trauma. <laughs> I think that's like a good collection of little themies. Yeah, I'm sure there are tons more, but yeah, those are like the big ones that we picked out and we might find more as we go along. Yeah. We'll see. I was going to say, I would like to try to be more conscious of themes going through the rewatch mm-hmm. this season two. Yeah. Than we were season one. Yeah. Season two media and reviews. So season two had... 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty good. That's a lot of tomatoes. So many. The audience score was just a tad lower at 90%, but this is all compared to season one, which had 97%. That is nuts. I know. And I know we looked at these numbers in the season one overview, yeah. but reading them again is like, wow. Chapter eight, The Mind Flayer won the Golden Reel Award for Best Sound Editing. Nice. Yeah. And then Mike and Elle's dance to every breath you take at the snowball won an MTV Movie and TV Award for Best Musical Moment. Sweet. So I love cute. that scene. Yeah, me too. So, finally, let's talk about some of our initial impressions of the season. Final thoughts. Let's see. Where was I? October 27, 2017. <laughs> um, well, this was a weird, a weird day for me um, because I actually broke my ankle on that day um (laughs) doing something really innocuous and stupid so yeah i broke my ankle right i had to be in a um a boot for like eight weeks it was it was a tough time but season two came out on that day so i had lots of time to just lay down and watch the season all the time in the world i did yeah i couldn't really go anywhere unfortunately during my first watch i was in a lot of pain from you know breaking my ankle tylenol with codeine is a hell of a drug kids i don't remember most of that so i did i did have to watch it again after that and recall what the heck happened and i (laughs) but i was living i was loving it it i enjoyed it a lot on the first watch as far as i remember one of the things that i like really enjoyed was that well enjoyed is a weird word but i i liked that they really delved into trauma and ptsd and like they were they were very clear about kind of the the mental health implications of dealing with a trauma like that and i mm-hmm. at the time i remember feeling like it was really brave of a large show like this to really tackle something like that and to 
not just touch upon it, but to be very clear about it, which I, I really liked. That was like a major sticking point for me that they really delved into that. But on my, on my first watch, I was not a huge fan of Billy and Max. Yeah. I just didn't see the need. I felt like the cast was good how they were. I didn't think they needed more party members. They were fine. <laughs> but of course... What's a few more? Yeah, what's a few? I know. And, you know, but by season four, we've got, like, an ensemble cast of, like, oh, I don't know, 30 people or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, so... But obviously, that has changed. Max is one of my favorite characters. Now, I love her billy continues to be the worst well not anymore (laughs) r.i.p but so i was right about that and then listen i've talked about before how i'm a big fan of an exposition episode that does not drive the plot forward but helps us understand a little bit of background right lost sister was an episode for sure (laughs) wow you just dropped an unpopular opinion and you didn't even give me a warning what that was was that an unpopular opinion that lost sister is not great (laughs) no damn it (laughs) It's a very popular I was opinion. like, wait, what? Yeah, I I was excited for it. Like, I remember, like, reading the, the the plot summary and, like, being like, oh, this is, like, such a cool concept that we're finally going to get, like, another, you know, numbered sister or whatever. Yeah. And, very, um, num- we were, like, yeah, no. good, good point. Yeah, I was, I was really excited for that. And, uh, yeah, which, again, no fault of the character of Callie. She was great. No. I think she had a lot of potential. So hopefully, um, maybe we'll see her again. But yeah, that was kind of my first initial thoughts on the season. And really how that's evolved over time is that I think by now Stranger Things season two is probably my second favorite right behind season three. When a new season releases, it's it always takes a minute for it to feel integrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like it always feels like a f- like foreign until you've really kind of given it a good second, third watch. Yeah. Like I remember feeling legitimately confused when season four genuinely ended i was like what the fuck was that yeah same what the fuck just happened what is this like i was i felt like i was in mourning but then like over time like i watched it again and again and again and i was like okay she fits now yeah but i felt the same way with season two i was fresh in a new apartment with my now husband and we had just moved out like september 25th so we had only been in this apartment for a month and my husband's name is nick i'm just i'm tired of saying my husband so nick (laughs) had not yet watched stranger things at all and I was still like, we need to watch this. You have to watch it. And I wanted to rewatch season one upon watching season two. Of course. So we rewatched it or I rewatched it and he saw it for the first time and he got into it. And then we watched season two. And it's so funny because when I think about watching season two, the only episode I remember from watching it the first time is The Lost Sister. And I don't know if it's... <laughs> Like, I'm not even kidding. I don't remember watching it. Like, I can't put myself back watching it. But just into the moment of that of that episode. I did not like being out of Hawkins. I remember being like, why am I here? Get me out of Chicago. Like, I just want to go back to Hawkins. (laughs) Right. Same. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I was very. And it took me a number of watches to, like, see the value of the lost sister as an episode. Yeah. But it is still one that, like, when we do do a rewatch you know nick looks at me he goes can we skip this one and i'm like no (laughs) we need to watch it i also remember being a little bit resistant to max Mm -hmm. and billy i was like very much on the same 
pages steve like who is this random girl yeah. like like get her out of here we don't need her i felt like mike like i felt like she's infiltrating the party yeah. get her out like stop it i felt resistant to max but yeah the other thing that i just i remember rem- i remember remembering <laughs> season two doing so well is the buildup of tension between mike and l reuniting mm-hmm. like you get her going to the school watching max and mike while she's doing her little like i can be your mage right Isn't yeah that, no i could be your zoomer yes she says i can be your zoomer and mike's like that's not even real and then he can like sense that l was there when mike or when max like flew off her skateboard and it is a buildup of nine episodes yeah reuniting these two yes like i just remember it was the like the relief you feel like you feel mike's relief in chapter nine i mean she oh the look on his face uh, yes and then he bursts into tears and hopper has to be like let's go we gotta talk yes and he's like you've been hiding her she's been here all like it's just so well done so and then they have their like goodwill hunting moment yes not your fault yeah it's not your fault but (laughs) yeah also like i felt like comparatively like looking at the reunion between hopper and 11 in season four i felt Mm. like they did it so much better in season two between underwhelming yes it was so underwhelming like so he was supposed to be dead he was presumed (laughs) dead and like i i don't know i was just like i totally agree hey the emotional <laughs> impact of Hop's letter at the end of season yes. three and then the reunion at the end of season four was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, yeah, there was just so much more they could have done with that. But like, yeah, comparatively like the reunion between Mike and Ellen season two. Oh, amazing. It was, it was good. Amazing. I'm excited to watch that. Well, that's our season two overview. We hope you feel overviewed. <laughs> We hope we've we've given you a little bit of a In the best reminder. way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Over overviewed. Ew. <laughs> we <laughs> then, mean all good things. So next episode coming out next week will be chapter one. Mad Maxine. Mad Max. <laughs> Max. What are you doing in here? Max. <laughs> it's just my favorite thing ever. And then when he says Fred. <laughs> Yep. That's perfect. Vecna was the comic relief that we all needed. I know. And he was not <laughs> supposed four. to be. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm excited to get into season two. I'm so excited to rewatch. And uh, see you next week, everybody. Stay strange. Stay strange, Megs. <laughs> <laughs> to keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. Mm-hmm.